0: The uh, notes I have in front of me, we're going to be in James chapter 5, of course, verse 16. But the notes in front of me have a date at the top of it. It says 1976. And that's not when I preached it. That's the year the Lord saved me. The week of July the 4th, Bicentennial year, 1976. Forty-three years ago. Forty-three years ago. That's amazing. But it was amazing what the Lord had done. That was the first time that I understood that what Christ had done was for me. Was for me. Up to that time, I went to church every week. The the services and the Sunday school and all the rest. Uh, My mom made sure we did. I was brought up in Sunday school and all those things, but you know we can listen to it and listen to it and listen to it, the stories and the gospel message and all and all until you realize it's for you you're just going through the motions of it you're just you've got head knowledge, but suddenly it became heart knowledge <laughs> it was for me it was it was at a summer camp, a church summer camp that year that um, one of our teachers was teaching us on the crucifixion and it dawned on me and I'd never thought of that before that he actually died for me and I said wow I came to trust him as my savior went on that way for a long time I didn't have much greater knowledge than that for many years just understood that and that was good to know that he had died for me and I belonged to him. But there were a lot of questions in my heart. A lot of things I didn't understand. And it wasn't until I was in Bible college that the Lord got a hold of me in such a way that just impressed me to this day. I've told some of you about that before. I was sitting in a class called Romans, of all things. Working through uh, the book of Romans, the teacher was teaching. And... Um, He spoke in a monotonous kind of voice. Most of the students thought he was as boring as uh, dry toast sitting out on the counter for several hours. And yet, it was the Word of God that had me absolutely mesmerized as he went through those books. Because I understood that I needed a Savior, but I thought I had done pretty good up to that point. I was an impressive enough kind of guy. The Lord must have saved me because of that. I didn't know. But I, I was entered into that class in the first three chapters, four chapters, and even into the fifth chapter of Romans. It talks a lot about sin. It talks a lot about sin. And the more he talked and read it from God's Word, the heavier I felt. But I didn't know that I was that kind of a sinner. You see, folks, sometimes we compare ourselves with other people and say, well, I'm not, as, I'm not as bad as this guy or I'm not as bad as that guy. And I go to Bible college and, you know, you can rack up all those little points out there and make it look like you're doing pretty good. But when you get to verses that say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it's kind of hard to find a loophole in that or wiggle room around it. I'm not afraid to declare it for what God says it is. We're sinful. And it's not a matter of whether or not you're a little sinful or a lot of sinful. It's fatal. Because the wages of sin is death. And that's without exception. In case you're wondering, well, maybe that's for the guy who does a lot of sin. No, it's just for the guy who's done one. That's all it takes to make a sinner. One sin. I didn't understand that up till that time. The more I read about that in those first five chapters of Romans, the heavier my heart got. And it's the first time I actually realized how absolutely hopeless we are without Christ. Absolutely hopeless. There is no remedy outside of Christ. Nothing. All my hope that I had in anything else was stripped away. I just stood there, realizing how absolutely sinful I was. I'm thinking, that's crazy, I'm a believer. Why is they hitting me like this? Because I'd never looked at it from God's side before. It was devastating. As you know, last week I pounded you quite a bit, didn't I? Hit you with everything but a two-by-four, right? We talked about sin. Sin, 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 sin. And it's heavy. It's heavy. It's a heavy load to bear. But it's a true load to bear. That's where we all are apart from Christ. Scripture says, And we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's a pretty serious condition, isn't it? And those things are recorded for us to understand. That's why Romans 5, eight means so much to me. So much to me. That day, it was as if I heard it for the first time, sitting there in that Romans class. I was sitting over by the window, front row, little wooden desk, you know, the kind with the little arm thing on it, where you you have not much room to write. But I was in the front row, right there by the, the registers. I could still smell the chalk. We had chalkboards back then. I could smell the chalk. Old linoleum floors, radiator heaters. I picture it in my mind to this day. And he's reading through Romans 5. And he said this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't because I was good. It was because I was a sinner. Christ died for me. That was so... So, I don't know what the right word for Traumatic to my heart? It stunned me to realize He loved me. I had not been to a place where I understood it to that day. Oh, I know I needed a Savior, but I didn't know how much He loved me. And I started looking for that. And you don't have to go far from Romans 5 to get into Romans 8 and read those precious Verses. That nothing can separate us from the love of God. I was a new person. Not that I came to know Christ as Savior, but I came to know my Savior. But what a difference that makes. I told you last week we have three parts to this message. And the first one, for lack of a better term, and it's not a great term, but it works the disease of sin. And I use the word disease because in our day and age, we will invest millions upon millions upon millions of dollars into one program or another to find a cure for one disease or another, won't we? We will have drives. We'll have the little march-and-dime thing. We'll do the lung cancer thing. We do, we've been putting millions and millions, and I can't even tell you figures over the years. Billions, probably into finding cures for the very thing that we want relief from. And yet, this kind of world we live in today, you bring up sin and they say, I don't want to hear it. When that is the greatest need, and matter of fact, the need of every single person on this planet. It doesn't matter if you're from Asia, or if you're from Europe, or if you're from Africa, or some Antarctica, wherever you want to be, claim yourself from. Here in America, we need a Savior because we are sinful. That's what Scripture says. That is the need of man. That's why Christ came. And so I presented last week, in the words that I could express, there is a great need that we all represent. And it's all mentioned in the disease. The disease of sin. But there's also the cure. I saved that for today. Because that's the focus of this communion service. That's the focus of what we want to talk about. And the reason I'm doing this is because in verse number 16, it uses two words that stand out. And if we don't have them in the right place, we're not going to understand the verse. Next week I'm going to explain the verse. But today, I just bring up those two things. First of all, therefore confess your sins. Verse 16 says, there's our first word we dealt with. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. That's the second word. That's the cure. That you may be healed. Next week we're going to apply it, especially to this text. To understand what it's talking about there. But I felt we needed to take the time to look at those two big things that stand in front of us. I'm trying to be as careful as I can as I walk through this. I don't want to be sloppy. I don't want to be careless in this. I I read this verse and things stand out to me. Just things that you're going to hear next week especially about confessing sins to one another. Praying for one another so that you may be healed. And how that comes to that final statement. The effective or the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And how all that fits together is an amazing thing. But we talked about sin last week. The sin that is both intentional, and that's the reality of sin. That's where you miss the mark. (laughs) You come up short. You're the one who fired the arrow, and it didn't reach the target, did it? There's that sin. And there's the other sin that normally is called faults, or trespasses. The idea is it wasn't on purpose. But it was fatal nonetheless. It still led to the same result. We talked about that last week. That's just a simple observation from the text. That word is there. And we can't go around it. So let's understand it. Sin is big. Sin is very significant here. And what we've learned about that, as we talked about it last week, is the world will enjoy sin... The world will mock sin. The world will treat sin lightly. The world will explain sin away. But the world doesn't want you to talk about it. It doesn't want you to touch it. Because when they hear it, it's convicting. It's revealing. It's restrictive to their desires. It's judgmental (laughs) to our society. And so they follow through with... Jesus had said, they don't want to hear it. They hate the light because they don't want their deeds exposed. John chapter 3. The world doesn't like it. Unfortunately, the observation led to the fact that this is not a problem just for the world. This is a problem as well in the church. The problem of sin has not gone away. That's why James says, therefore confess your sins. He's talking to believers, to one another. And pray for one another so that you, that's personal, may be healed. It gets back down to you and your, me and my. Those are eye-catching phrases because we want the world to see what the Bible says about sin, but what we need is for the church to see What the Bible says about sin. It's very important because it damages the body of Christ. It damages the life of faith. We're studying living faith, aren't we? Yes. Sin is a big issue, folks. There is a need for healing. Need for healing. So that you... May be healed. Let's go there now. I'm actually starting my notes now. you ready? Just so you know, that was our introduction to lead us to what we're going to look at right now. The the word for healing here in the Greek text is to cure. It's an interesting word. The the verb is to cure. To make whole. We have the word heal. I want to ask you something. Just... You don't have to answer out loud, but think this through. When he says, so that you may be healed, is he talking literally? Is he talking symbolically, figuratively, spiritually, physically? It's interesting. There are some who go one way or the other way, and some go very strongly one way or the other way. I was asked that when I was ordained in my ordination council, when it says, For by his strife you are healed, what does that mean? What does it mean that you're healed? Well, I want to ask you a few questions as we go along. But this is my first one. If we're talking about something literal and we're talking about something physical, if we are, can sin damage a body? Oh, yes, it can. Oh, yes, it can. We know that's too i don't even have to go far into this I'm going to get rid of these notes. You guys know the answer. The disciples were walking with Jesus one day. Remember? they came across a man who had been blind from birth. What was their first question? What did he do? What did his parents do that this man is born blind? They assumed something. they assumed that he had sinned because he was blind. Or that his parents had sinned. And so he was blind. They assumed that his physical condition was brought about by sin. Right? That's what they assumed. Jesus answered them and said, Neither. Paul, when Paul's writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says some very uncomfortable things. There's this man in the context who's living with his father's wife. Bad situation. Guy's in the church. The Corinthian church. And not only did they turn their eyes away from that, but in a sense, they even applauded it. It was a mess. It was an absolute mess. This is what Paul says here. It is actually reported, he says in 1 Corinthians 5, 1, it's actually reported that there is immorality among you, and immorality of such a kind, it does not exist even among the Gentiles. He says, wow, you even make the Gentiles blush with this one. They don't do this. And you guys are, are, matter of fact, he says, you guys, you don't mind at all. Somebody has his father's wife. You have become arrogant, he says. You have not mourned instead. So that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this, as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus... When you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Woo! You see the smoke coming off the page? That's pretty intense, isn't it? Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That is not one of the ten topics on Sunday night. That is a pretty intense topic. Paul writes later in that same book to the Corinthians. By the way, the Corinthian Bible Church was a mess. I always give it Bible Church for its middle name. The Corinthian Bible Church was an absolute mess. You wouldn't have wanted to be there, I don't think. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the place where we always go for our communion services, or a lot of us do, when we want to talk about uh, the communion service, and what we say and what we do, this is the context around it. You ready for this? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you, Paul says. For I received the Lord that which I delivered unto you. Wait a minute. This is a communion service now. Was Paul happy? No, he broke his pen on the last verse. And now he keeps writing he says, now I want to tell you what the communion service is all about. The night that Jesus, Lord Jesus, in that night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you, and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He's trying to bring them back to square one. Why are we here? What are we now? We are saved by the blood of Christ. But these people weren't living like it. He says, let's go back to what it's all about. Let me remind you. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus died Jesus shed his life. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? The whole service was designed so we wouldn't. But the Corinthians must have. He says in verse 27... Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. I've seen people sleep in church before. Is that what he means? No. What is it? Dead. Really? Yeah. Because of their sinful ways, the Lord took them out. Took them out of the church. Took them out of this life. Had them die. Is that pretty impressive to you? Just to stop and say, really? Does sin have, does sin have a physical price tag? Yes. I'm just giving you a couple of examples. I could take you to Romans chapter 1, verse 27, and read this. In the same way also men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Immorality has a price tag too. Physical sickness, disease, and all those things that come along with it. People say, nope, don't talk about that, Pastor. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. That's sin. Sin has a price tag, and it affects the physical body. God has designed it so. Gluttony has a price tag too, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Physical sickness and disease. Alcoholism, chemical addiction, smoking. You start naming the things that we do to the body. They have physical price tags, don't they? We know that sin has a physical consequence. You could thank Adam if you want. But we are in bodies that are aging. Bodies that are wearing down. If you want the record of the Old Testament and all the way to the present, it's real simple. Just go and look in a cemetery. They've had them all the way since, Adam and Eve sinned. Physical consequences. The soul that sinneth it, it shall die. Yes, that's spiritual too. That's even worse. But scripture makes it abundantly clear. It's physical too. And we ate it. We ate it in its downward aging process, wearing down process. We ate it with the abuses we do to our body. And this evil world does a lot. An awful lot to abuse it. What's unfortunate is it may not be your sin that might cause your sickness. It might not be your sin that could bring about a death in your family. It might be somebody else's. It might be somebody else who has abused something and caused an accident. Right? We live in a world like that. When you live among other sinful people, It's very likely you could get hurt because of them. I always think I got the flu because somebody gave it to me. I've got to blame somebody. There's just a simple aspect that the physical issues has a link to the spiritual. There's a link here. And it's a very interesting thing. I'm not quick to say just because you have myopia, or I certainly do, that it's because I did something wrong. I'm not going to go that way well. I'm just saying that these bodies are sinful. I wish it were perfect, don't you? That'd be great. But it's not. It's a reminder. Every single day, and some of us have plenty of reminders, don't we? Plenty of reminders. What's all that about? Ultimately, we need a cure. We need a cure for sin, the sin issue. Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21. One of the most vivid passages in the Old Testament concerning this. Starts in verse number 4. Once I start it, you're going to say, oh, is that where that story was? It starts in verse 4. This is Moses and the Israelites. They set out from... Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. And the people spoke against God. By the way, that's not wise. Just so you know. Bad idea. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt? To die in the wilderness? For there is no food there's no water and we loathe this miserable food they're talking about the manna God was given to them the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died so the people came to Moses and said we have sinned you know what they know spiritual math they figured it out pretty quick didn't they we sin, snakes show up, white people, they die. Uh-oh. We sin. So they come to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and in you intercede with the Lord that he re- may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Now, they're asking for just one thing. Take the snakes away. What God is going to give them is the cure. It wasn't taking the snakes away. Watch carefully. The Lord said to Moses, verse 8, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. He didn't take the snakes away. He says, no, I've got a better thing. Because it'd be easy for the Lord to say, okay, I'll make your life easier. Or take away sickness. Or take away sinfulness. Or just strip them of you and then you're fine, right? No, you're not fine. You still need the cure. He didn't take the snakes away. He says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Moses, you make a serpent out of bronze. Put it up on a stick. And I'm going to have the people look to it whenever they're bitten. And if they look to that, they will be healed. That's what he gave to them. Notice the words here. He will live. End of verse number 8. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a standard, and it came about that if a servant bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Sounds like an easy thing, right? What if you don't believe that that's possible? You're not going to look, are you? That's an issue of faith, isn't it? I don't know that they use that technique anymore. We don't. This is an issue of faith there. Do you believe that the Lord can heal you? Do you believe that the Lord will heal you? Do you believe that... By looking there, according to his word, by trusting what he said, that you will have the answer for your need. That's what it came down to. Do you trust him? Very appropriately, this word, this same concept is used in the New Testament. You want to guess what chapter? What book? John? 3. You know John 3, verse 16. But do you know verse 14? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What's he talking about? His crucifixion. Then he says in verse 15, So that whoever believes will... In him, have eternal life, Jesus said, "The perfect illustration of what I am doing for you Moses was to that was to help them in their life, their physical life right there. I give you something far better for your need is far greater than just the physical, it's spiritual too. And, it's, and it has eternal consequences as well. He says, just as Moses lifted up that servant, even so I, Jesus Christ says, I must be lifted up so that if you look to me, believe, you will have eternal life. You know what? That sounds very simple, doesn't it? But in God's plan, that is the only. Solution for sin. That's it. There is no other way around the answer to how do I deal with sin. It's not about what you can do, the works you can add up. It's not about your dedication, your motivation. It's not about your family. It's not about your wealth. It's not about your attendance in church or Sunday school. It's not about being a missionary. It's not about anything else but your faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. Because Jesus made it clear. And he said it so simplistically. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Only me. That's it. So he makes this statement. That we've been tracing through the scriptures now. The point is clear and it's right in front of us. Jesus is the solution for sin. He is. There's no healing without Him. There's no living faith without Him. There's nothing in prayer without Him. There's nothing in oil, as James brought up. There is nothing in confession There is nothing in mutual confession to one another. There is nothing in any of that if Jesus is not in it. It's either of Jesus or it's nothing. You see? When it comes to the, the problem, we have sin. When it comes to the answer, we have Christ. That's the whole picture. That is vital to our understanding. Because we don't look at all these gimmicks and whatnots to figure out, how is this going to work? What is this program we need to do? What are the steps we need to take? It's all about Jesus. He's the only solution. There's no way healing will ever take place apart from Him. Period. That's what it says. That's what we have in front of us. I told you last week, there's some passages I want you to see. Because in them, they keep bringing up the word healing. Healing. The first one was in Matthew 13. And it starts in verse 13 as well, and it goes all the way to verse 17. Jesus said, the problem man has is that his heart is dull. It's dull. His heart is dull. He says this, Matthew 13:13. 13, 13, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. Their ears can scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes. Others' eyes they would see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you have seen, and did not see it, and to hear what you have heard, and did not hear it. The heart is dull. The disease is contagious. Even among believers, Hebrews chapter 12. This passage from verse 11 to verse number 15. Hebrews 12, 11 through 15. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak, the knees that are feeble, Make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may be not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and sanctification, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God; that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. My sin is not my own; is contagious. Your sin is not your own. It's contagious. One little thing, even as much as bitterness of heart, can defile a whole bunch. That's a practical concept. But we know that too well, don't we? We know physically how quickly diseases spread, illnesses spread. Many of them are very contagious. They're dangerous. We stay away from that. Or do we take the spiritual issues as seriously? Many are defiled. The cure... The cure... Is in the death of Christ. It's our only solution. 1 Peter 2... 21-25 through 25. For you have been called for this purpose, he says. Since Christ also suffered for you, Leaving an example for you to follow in his steps. Who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while he was reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the him who judges righteousness. For he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. There is no other solution for sin but Jesus Christ. None. you were continually straying like sheep, Peter says, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Now, I've spent two weeks to emphasize over and over and over again, in the issue of sin, it does a great deal of damage to the body. Physically, yes. Spiritually, yes. The body of Christ, yes. The church, yes. We live in a sinful world. Unfortunately, we carry it about with us. We don't take it seriously enough. That's all before us. But I also bring up the fact that we would be missing all of this if we left Christ out of the picture. That's where the healing's at. The only solution, the cure, it's in Jesus Christ. That's the reason why we remember him today. Today. In this communion service, it was His body given for us. It was His blood shed for us because we can't be saved without it. There's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. We have no healing from sin without Him. You see the impact of this whole point? That's why the application next week is going to be so easy. <laughs> Just to make the simple point. You can't have it without Christ. You just can't have it without Him. You know Christ is your Savior? Forty-three years ago, I understood it for the first time. I needed a Savior. I needed a Savior. Not just somebody to talk about on Sunday mornings not just somebody to study this aspect of him or that aspect of him or, or his stories or his parables and stuff i needed a savior because i was sinful do you know that too that's what this is a reminder of when we go into a communion service is that my sin is great but my savior is greater we remember what he's done for us giving up his body shedding his blood. I always say there's two things that we ought to be mindful of when we go into a communion service. The first is, how great is our sin. That ought to humble us to the core every single time. To think that it's because of our sin somebody died. That's incredible to think that way. That's one thing I try to think of every single time. It's my sin that took him there. It's my sin that he bore in the body. I did it. But I also remember I ought to be the most thankful person on this planet that he took my place. And he did it willingly out of his love for me. That's incredible. This morning, as we partake together of this communion service, number one, you must know Christ as your Savior. This is a reminder of what he has done for you. This is your way of testifying that that is true. I believe that. I take of this bread and I take of this cup because this is personal to me. This is what he did for me. If you've never received Christ as you saved you, don't take of the cup. Don't take of the bread. Let it just pass by. But as it passes by, think about what you're doing. Think about it. He has offered to you eternal life if you would just believe. If you would turn to Him, He will give you forgiveness of sins. He promises, whosoever believeth in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you want that gift? You can have it right now. You can receive Christ right now. Call upon His name and He will say That's what the promise is. And if you've never done that before, let it pass by because you haven't done that. Think about the fact that He's offered it to you. He's offered it to you. So, as we partake, and i have the men come forward here this morning, as we partake together of our communion service, let us remember the depth of our sin, and let us remember the love of our Savior. And let us be thankful people.